0: Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith, and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
1: Good morning. It's good to see each of you here this morning, and I, got a, I have a blessing. I'm not going to embarrass them, but uh, we have a couple that's here this morning that I was their youth pastor. And uh, in fact, they were the first couple that I've ever married. I must have tied that knot tight, because they're still together and they got all these kids. And uh, we're glad to have them here today. And uh, I don't know, it's just a blessing to me when Wendy says, hey, the couple that you, were their youth pastor or married and bitten are here. I'm like, what? And there they are. So it's good to have them here today. We're in a series in the book of Revelation looking at the seven churches of Asia. You know, these seven churches are interesting to look at. They are messages that God had in particular for each of these churches, but it's just not meant for those churches. They are meant for us today. And as I was, as I was studying this week for our message today, I, I really battled, uh, you can ask Walter, I got him my outline really late. Uh, exactly how I'm going to present this particular message. Because I thought last week's message, even though several of you said it was a good message, but I felt like it was a hard message. It was a tough message. And I didn't want to sound harsh today, Uh, but yet it's it's a serious message that we all need to hear. And so we're going to be looking at the church at Thyatira. Uh, You may, in your Bible studies, may be familiar with this place. Uh, There's a Lydia uh, is from Thyatira, a seller of purple. Um, it's a very town that uh, was known for its trade guilds. Uh, it was also a, a place and uh, uh, that housed a lot of military units. But its history is very fascinating. That this poor little town has been invaded and fought over uh, between the Greeks and the Turks, and for centuries. Uh, but we find it that Jesus addresses this church in our text for us today. And so I have a big idea, right? A big idea, uh, a question, uh, uh, maybe a method in which how we can approach this particular church. And maybe it, could, it teaches us how do we respond to false teaching and evil in the church. Now, that's, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's, that's a pretty tough, tough lesson to learn. But look, there's no perfect church, is there? Uh, There's biblical principles that are presented throughout the New Testament, how we are to respond as believers in Christ to false teaching and to immorality and uh, ungodliness that could begin to emerge among God's people. And the church at Thyatira helps us to understand how we as a church can combat uh, false teaching of coming and staying and and all the effects that it may have upon the congregation. So that's our approach this morning. That's the big idea that I want you to get. And in order to do this, there are six things that I think Jesus shares for us within this passage of scripture that will help us to combat false teaching and immorality, evil and ungodliness among god's people the first is that we need to know who christ is that's the starting place we need to know who christ is and i want you to notice in particular what jesus said of himself specifically for john to write to thyatira because he says and to the angel of the church in thyatira write the words of the son of god This is the only time we find it in the book of Revelation that Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of God. Some scholars speculate because either Zeus or Caesar was given the title or referred to as the Son of God. Well, there's only one Son of God, and His name is Jesus. And not only is Jesus a man who was born of a virgin but he is fully God he is the only begotten Son of God and we must know who he is because you know in the time of Paul and the Apostle John did you know that people struggled even under those who claimed to be Christian about the person of Christ we see the Apostle John writing so many times that Jesus Came in the flesh, but he is the Son of God. He's divine. He's 100% man and 100% God because people struggled and just thought maybe Jesus was, you know, maybe he, he was just a spirit form. Maybe he came and possessed a man. No. Jesus came like his creation, fully man, but yet divine. He is our creator. He is our Savior. He is our King. And we live because of Him. He is the Son of God. But not only is He the Son of God, we need to realize that He is all-knowing. I love the description here. It's very majestic in its description. Who has eyes like a flame of fire. Chapter 1 in the book of Revelation describes him the same way. But you look at what John saw in Jesus' eyes and and, and what he recorded and what Jesus said of himself. Can you imagine the penetrating eyes of Jesus? As I was studying this, I was kind of reminded, do you remember when, uh, when Jesus, before his crucifixion, He was on trial, and he told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Deny me three times. Oh, you know, Peter was like, no way. I will die for you, Lord. He said, no, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. And so Peter comes up to Jesus' trial, denies Jesus three times, and as, as that rooster crowed, it's like the Scriptures, that their eyes connected And almost the way it pictures is that penetrating look that just convicted the heart of Peter. And he was filled with sorrow and ran away. Do you realize that Jesus knows the heart of man? Do you know Jesus knows your heart? Do you know he knows our thoughts? Do you know he knows our actions? Even when no one's around, he sees And his thoughts and what he sees is penetrating. You know, we're good at hiding our thoughts and our emotions from people, but we can't from our Savior. He knows. But not only is he all-knowing, he is a righteous judge. Notice the further description, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In fact, really the whole description describes, you know, he's riding in such a way that he he is, you know, a judge but he's not an unjust judge he is a righteous judge and the things that he says to the churches the things that he's saying to us today is not out of something that is you know he's being a uh, harsh towards us he's not being you know where you know we can't have fun as christians he he, he, he tells us things to avoid that might, not, that might have the capability of destroying us in our lives. And so he's coming in as a, as a righteous judge. And look, we like to talk about Jesus and his love. I, I do. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. But we cannot separate Jesus, who is the God of love, to Jesus, who is also the righteous judge. The righteous judge see we need to know who he is and the bible says that all of us will stand before jesus and give account of our lives but he's righteous so i could i I could preach a whole nother sermon right here how well are you living your life for jesus Do you know Him as the Son of God? He knows you more than you know yourself. And someday, we'll stand before Him. How well are you living for Jesus? So to combat false teaching and immorality, we need to know who God is. We need to know who Jesus is. And we need to understand what He has taught and make application to our life. Not only do we not not only need to know who Christ is, we need to continue to grow in good works. Notice the commendable traits that Jesus says about Thyatira. He says, I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. He knows our works. He knows what we do for Him. And the motivation behind it. Isn't that scary? He knows our works. He described it really in in two groups. Love and faith. And service and patient. Love and faith, almost like the spiritual gifts, right? We're commanded to love as Christ loves. That's unconditionally. We are to have faith and to live by faith. what the, the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. He knows that about him. He commends it for them. And then their service and patience. This word service is the same word where we get our word deacon from. You know, they're good at waiting on tables, serving. They have a towel in hand ready to wash the saints' feet. And their endurance, because it was a tough time to live in. They endured persecution, difficulty, and He knew this about them. What does Christ know about us? About our love, about our faith, about our service, and our times where we need to endure? What would be said about us? Would would that be commendable before Jesus? These are commendable traits. But you know what he says? He commended them for their works. He says that your latter works exceed the first. That is amazing. They started off good. Loving, living by faith, serving, enduring. And it grew to where it exceeded from the very beginning we need a people we need to be a people that grow to grow in god's grace to grow in god's knowledge to allow the word of god to transform our lives we need to continue to grow and as we grow in the lord our actions what we do will begin to change and those are that is commendable and it's vitally important We need to be a growing church. We call ourselves a life-changing church for a reason. Because Jesus should be changing us day by day. In fact, I hope that not only am I closer with Jesus today than I was yesterday, but hopefully there's something within my life that I am doing better today because of my faith in Christ than I was yesterday and you mount all those days together, I should be more mature than I was 20 years ago. I should be be exceeding in my works today than I did at the age of 17 when I was saved. There should be growth. We have this tree we planted last year in our yard. Jenny went to me yesterday we drove up she goes do you think that tree is dead I said I don't know it hasn't grown since we planted it we had the cold kind of winter months and Jenny went over to it and snapped a branch and snapped and I'm like oh boy I don't know what happened maybe we didn't water it enough fertilize it enough maybe I'm cursed and can't you know I don't have a green thumb I don't know It's sad that that tree hasn't grown and really isn't showing any fruit. When you start seeing all these trees starting to blossom and bud, this tree is just sitting there almost as if it's lifeless. And I'm afraid that there are a lot of Christians that may be like this tree, and they've been that way for years. Is it that, you know, maybe it was a harsh, Life that they faced. Maybe it was whatever it is, but, but, but they haven't grown much. And you begin to wonder, is, are they ever? But boy, the tree in the backyard, we didn't plant that one. That was there when we moved in. Starting to bud, starting to grow. I like to see that. And wouldn't it be wonderful if each Christian, I love to hear, I love to see when people grow in God. Grow in faith. I love, you know, probably Charles, you probably love this, Lynn, when you're sitting in class and all of a sudden you're teaching and all of a sudden it's like someone, you just see the light go on. It's like, I get it. And they grow. We need to be a growing church. We need to be a people that continues to transform our lives by the Word of God and service and worship and and just allowing God's Word just to penetrate our hearts, to change us from the inside out. It's important. The third thing that Jesus tells his church, and this is not commendable, but He tells them do not tolerate evil. You know, we live in a society today that says we should tolerate everything. Right? Except we can't tolerate Christians. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We tolerate all this evil, tolerate all this immorality, but we're not going to tolerate you telling me about Jesus. Seems to only work one way. But when we begin to look, what Jesus says is that to tolerate means to permit. He says here, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel i got a question for you. We'll just, this will be a little interactive. How many women do you know today named Jezebel? <laughs> Anyone? Well, Walter found some statistics. Out of 185,000 girls born, and I think it's the year 2022, Walter, is that correct? 21. Fifteen girls were named Jezebel. Those poor girls. <laughs> Those poor girls. You know, Jezebel... Uh, I don't believe that this is the woman's literal name. I think what Jesus was doing is there was a woman within the church that was teaching falsely, very similar to like the Jezebel of the Old Testament, Ahab's wife, where she came in and she began to seduce the northern kingdom, Israel, to plunge themselves further into idolatry and immorality. And that's what this Jezebel is doing. But you see, the church was kind of guilty, even though many of them did not, they didn't follow after Jezebel. Some did. But they tolerated her. And when you tolerate something, you're permitting it to exist, you're letting it to, to, to permeate, you're letting it to be infectious, which can destroy lives. So, we're not to permit, uh, to permit false teaching. He says, look, do I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants? Well, see, Thyatira had, had guild trades, and each guild worshiped a certain deity. Well, if you wanted a job, you had to be aligned with the guild. And if you're part of that guild, they're going to require you to worship a deity. It was a real struggle within the church at Thyatira. And she was promoting that it was okay. She was trying to mix mix your Christianity with ungodliness and immorality. Look, Look, you either serve Jesus or you serve something else. You cannot do both. And she was teaching this. And... It was leading many to plunge into immorality and head for a life of destruction. And the church was tolerating that. You know, the teaching of God's Word is very important to me. In fact, Paul said in the book of Galatians chapter 1, if anybody teaches or preaches... A gospel which is not the gospel. Let them be anathema. Accursed. Which means devoted to destruction. Do you realize there's only one way to heaven? Amen. Jesus. It's it. No other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes before the Father except through Him. The gospel contains the death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel declares that all men are sinners, which we all are, including me. And because of that sin, Jesus came to die for us as a substitute. A cruel death of crucifixion. That those who place trust in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins and receive eternal life. It's not by baptism. It's not by church membership. It's not by your giving. All those are great things. But they will not save you. Only repentance and faith in Jesus will get you to heaven. There's no amount of good that you can do in your life that will outweigh Our sinfulness, only the work of Jesus, and only faith in Him. If anybody preaches anything different, we can't permit that because salvation is by faith, through grace, by faith alone. And that's it. That's it. If you allow that uh, another teaching to come in because this is what was happening in Paul's day, well, yeah, you can be saved They're by teaching grace. to come in because through faith, but you had to be circumcised. circumcised. Well, yeah, you can be saved teaching by no. It. it's wrong. It's by faith alone in Jesus. And so we cannot tolerate, we cannot permit false teaching. Now, there's there's teachings that we may you know disagree on it we don't have to you know it's not necessarily false like whatever your position is on the rapture right some of you believe that jesus is becoming in the beginning of the week some in the middle some at the end i'll give you my position if you really want to know but i'm a pan tripper you're like what is that jesus is going to be coming at the beginning if he doesn't come in the beginning he's going to come in the middle if he doesn't come in the middle he's going to come at the end but it's all going to pan out in the end right no man knows the hour or the time he's going to come and we're to live imminently right as if he's going to come at 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 any moment so we might we might have a good discussion and it's it's of those things but man there are some some cardinal teachings that we cannot compromise because they're destructive And that's what Jezebel is doing. Because, you see, false teaching leads to ungodliness. Notice, seducing God's servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. False teaching can lead. Look look what is happening in our society today that's permeating our churches, dealing things with homosexuality, abortion, Uh, things that we, you know, God is very clear on, but we see compromise, and it's destructive, right? Destructive, leading many astray. So how do we, as a church, to address it? Well, the answer is we don't tolerate it. We do address it, but we give time for repentance. You know, a lot of churches have done a lot of things through the years to how to address false teaching and, and, and immorality and ungodliness in the church. And we can go to two extremes. One, we can do nothing, right? On the other end, man, we can slam down the hammer. We can be so harsh. We can become so judgmental and people. Oh, look! Look! Look at that person. Do you know that movie had a brief nudity scene? I saw it through their, through their window of their living room up on the thing. How do you know you're not in there? They're in there trying to, oh, I didn't know I didn't change it. But we saw it. Long ago, uh, Brian and Terry would know this. We, we, the Slain Missionary Baptist Church celebrated, like I think when I was there, their 110th anniversary. Uh, anniversary as a church they went back and found funny clips of things that they did throughout their history one of it was that a couple got disciplined in the church because a husband and wife was dancing in the privacy of their own home (laughs) baptist (laughs) baptist oh they're dancing you gotta kick them out first of all we better make sure that we're right and biblical But another thing is we need to be gracious. If Jesus is willing to give Jezebel time for repentance, ought we not also to give time for people to repent? Notice, He says, I gave her time to repent. Jesus obviously addressed the situation to her and gave her time. And so when we see and we hear, like if someone is teaching something falsely, I mean, as pastor, it's my responsibility to ensure and come and dress. Look, this is, this is why it's wrong here in Scripture. Make it clear. Give them the opportunity to look, teach them this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Give them time to, if you will, see the light and repent. If it's immorality, hey, give room for people to change. Do you realize that, that, that within this room we have a we have, we have a, a wide range of people that, that are on different spiritual levels, if you will, in their walk with Christ. There's some things that babes in Christ are still struggling with, trying to get over. And why kick them while they're down? It's come beside them and, and instruct them that they may repent and grow. So we need to give time for repentance. You see, Paul gave time of repentance. He said this in Titus 3.10. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, in some translations, this word, it means heretic, right? So what was happening is there were some who was come and teaching falsely. Look what Paul recommended. Look, after warning him once and then twice, that's room for repentance, for change. Have nothing more to do with them if they're unwilling to change, so we can be at two extremes right we can be uh you know do nothing or be really harsh or we can do as Jesus did is give room for change for repentance for repentance unfortunately some will not repent Jezebel didn't but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality now people don't like to really talk about this subject but there is a teaching in scripture called church discipline right matthew talked about it right if you have a fault with a brother you go to him and the key word in that is alone in other words i want to use lynn as an example if if lynn and i have a problem if i have a problem with lynn i'm going to go to lynn first and, and, and only him to reconcile the issue what i'm not going to do is say oh i got a problem with lynn and avoid him and say cory do you know what lynn did right kelly do you know what lynn did right gail do you know what lynn did and all of a sudden i get all these people behind me right and then i then i go to lynn what did i just do I caused some division. I've I've caused maybe people to look at Lynn differently. I didn't handle that correctly. And you know too too many times people do just that? When most time, if people just go to that person alone or reconcile it, it would end there. It would end there. But Jesus is saying, if you go to their brother... go to them alone and you reconcile the issue. If it doesn't, then you go bring two others with you, preferably those who are spiritual. You know, not ones that will just take your side, but ones that will be objective, look at things from both sides to help reconcile the issue. And hopefully it ends there. But if it doesn't, then the third thing was take it before the church. And if they're unwilling to repent of whatever it is that, then guess what? You're to remove them. Then we have a situation which was a public offense, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a man who is committing adultery with his father's wife, which was not his mother. And the Corinthian church was kind of boasting about it, allowing it, And it mourned the heart of Paul. He says, No, you should address the situation and remove him if he was unwilling. You know, the second letter in Corinthians, you see the repentance of that man. But unfortunately, some will not repent. And the last thing we ever want to do is say, You know what? Your decision and your behavior has come to a degree that you can no longer be a member of this church. It's ungodly. But sometimes necessary. But that's last resort. But why do we do these things? Because we want to punish them? No. It's an act of love. We want them restored. Right? Just like you do your children. your children ever act up? They ever disobey, maybe more children need a little paddings of encouragement, but we discipline in some way. I remember in high school, in high school, dad, shut your ears, Um, in high school, I ditched class my freshman year. I ditched school. I was in band and I got around some seniors, all oh, horrible influences in my life. I made the choice, they didn't force me. And uh, we just wanted to get out of class. And so there was a guy, a friend who had a deep voice, kind of like my dad, who called the office to play like my dad to get me out of school. It didn't work because the school called my mom and asked you know, if this was true or not. And it wasn't, and I don't know. I was, I was grounded for, I don't know, seemed like an eternity. Um, but they didn't do it because they didn't love me. They, needed, they, they punished me that I might learn because they did love me, that I wouldn't make the same mistake again. Because, you know, you begin to start patterns, you know, in life, and it could be very destructive. And so that's why we discipline our children. And sometimes, you know, Jesus gave us Uh, the, the necessary principles by which if necessary discipline is to occur in the church because we don't want people walking a destructive path we want them to love jesus and transform their life and it breaks my heart when people don't want to repent you see there's consequences for disobedience Notice what Jesus said concerning Jezebel. There is a suffering for an unrepentant heart. Behold, I will throw her into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into the great tribulation unless they repent of her works. You know, look, there's consequences to our actions, is there not? We can look at David of the Bible who committed uh, adultery, sexual sin, and had Bathsheba's husband killed he's guilty of murder premeditated there was consequences to his actions but you know what was special about david poor nathan the prophet who had to address him is he was a man who was crushed sorrowful for his actions and repented Repented. But those that are unwilling to repent can face suffering and consequences of some sort, judgment by God. Do you remember Annas and Sapphira of Acts chapter 5? They told the church, we're going to sell our property, or sold God, we're going to sell property and and give it to the church. You know, it wasn't about the money in that story. It was about their promise, and they both failed to do it. And I want you to notice um, what happened to them. They died. I skipped a slide, so excuse me for a minute while I rush through this next one. The purpose is for the churches to fear God. Right? And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. Why are they suffering? Why are they seeing this one? That all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart and I will give to each one according to your works. That He is all-knowing and a righteous judge. That we might know who He is. Now back to Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts five, eleven. they both died, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now I'm not telling you right now that someone's going to drop dead because of some sin in their life. But what I am saying is that unrepentant sin can lead to a life of suffering and destruction. Not by me, but serious. And I think in the manner in which Jesus presents it here and in the Bible, it's a very serious thing for false teaching and for immorality to be allowed to permeate and infect. His church. His consequences. Ah, enough with the negative. There's blessing for obedience. There's blessing for obedience. Notice, we're encouraged to be faithful. He says, but to you, the rest of the entire those that have not committed, who do not hold this teaching, Jezebel's teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you i say i do not lay on you any other burden only hold fast what you have until i come hold fast continue growing continue to know who i am hold fast i'm coming back remain faithful and then we're blessed to rule and reign with christ this is what he told them The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, the one who is victorious, and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as myself have received authority. From my father, you know, when Jesus returns, I'm not sure what administrative government he'll have, but he will be the one. <laughs> he is the lawgiver. He will rule with a <laughs> rod of iron. Right? That seems harsh, but those who have overcome, those who have remained faithful. We get to rule and reign with him. That's pretty exciting, right? To rule and to reign with Christ. Absolutely. But not only do we get to rule and reign, we're going to be blessed with the morning star now. I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm share with you what this means. It's going to enlighten your life. You guys ready? I have no idea. <laughs> Scholars are all mixed up, torn. Jesus is referred to as the morning star, right? Jesus is referred to as the morning star. So per- perhaps it gives us the idea of, of you know, that we, we get to be in the closest proximity to Jesus, right? Right? Uh, Do you guys all like sunrise? You know, sunrise marks the beginning of a new day. Perhaps this is just, look, we're coming into a new time. I'm not sure. Scholars are all, you know, which way about it. But whatever it is, it must be a blessing. It must be a blessing. And faithfulness will bless you with the morning star. So then Jesus closes it this way, basically saying, are you hearing? Are you hearing? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look, the Bible teaches that the Lord's church is His body. But not only is the Lord's church His bodies represented around the world but the lord's churches, also referred to as the bride of christ and you know my bride who's currently in the nursery has been a faithful wife i'm blessed to have my wife and if she's faithful and what the Bible describes the faithfulness of a wife to her husband then we talk about the church which is not its building but its people should we not be faithful to him faithful to Christ do you hear what he's saying our lives matter And the way which we live matters to Him. And may our lives reflect Christ and give Him the honor and the glory He deserves. Are you hearing? Let's stand together this morning. As we have a time of invitation... This is an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God. I know when you start preaching messages like this, you say, you know, if you have need to repent of sin, you're more than welcome to come to the altar. Not many people are saying, you know, I really want, as I come up and I kneel in prayer, want people to know maybe I have some sin in my life. But I want you to know there could be a variety of reasons why people come to the altar it could be just praying like, Lord, I want to be more faithful. Or maybe you're praying for a loved one. You know, I I have a prodigal son in my life who has a testimony of of receiving Jesus as his Savior, but he's not living for Christ right now. Maybe you're like me, and and, and you just want to come and just pray for your child, for your loved one. Perhaps, perhaps you're here this morning. Well, you are here this morning. (laughs) But you've come and you've never received Jesus. I can't think of any greater message than you need to hear right now. Then God loves you. He died for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to save you. Will you trust him today? Perhaps you're looking for a church home. I'm kind of partial to our church. I love our church. We love one another with all of our imperfections. We strive to do the best we can do with God's help to serve and to share the gospel and to see lives changed. And if God has put it upon your heart that you'd like to be a member here, you're more welcome to come. If you want to counsel with me, Pastor Lynn, maybe just, there's another burden on your heart, you're more than welcome to come. Because at the conclusion of our services, I hope one, you'll say, it's just been so good to be in the house of God. Secondly, that you might say, you know what? I am right with God. I'm right with God. And third, that you'll be passionate to share the gospel of Jesus. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for loving us. We thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray that the message this morning might stir our hearts for faithfulness in our lives. Father, we all have room to grow. We all have room to mature. Father, I pray that we will love You with the entirety of our being and the way that you have loved us. Father, I thank you for each one that has come out this morning. I pray your blessings upon them. And may you be honored and glorified in and through our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.